Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters. Satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years. You know what satisfied me today? Scott, Matt isn't here today, so we have Pia now subbing in. Um, it was a good night's sleep. Obviously, I didn't get to sleep like as long as I would have liked because I have to be up early for FFL, but no, no children woke me up in the middle of the night. There was no like weird noises. I just slept for the first time in a long time throughout the night, even if it wasn't as long as I wanted. What about you? What satisfied you today? Congratulations. Uh, the weather's been really mild in Michigan, so I've, I've been able to, you know, wear t-shirts, shorts occasionally. I've been I've been hitting drive range pretty regularly. So I'm, I'm an autumn guy anyway, but usually in November in Michigan is more like winter's starting to, you know, get 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 going on the runway. So I'm, I'm happy that this Indian summer has lasted a little bit longer, and uh, it was a fun fantasy day. Uh, my, my team's are doing great. I, I can't seem to pick a winner to save myself this year, which really frustrates me. But, um, you know, a lot of points, a lot of uh, exciting finishes, and yeah, I'm looking forward to breaking it down with you. Okay, well, if you're talking about a lot of points, then we should obviously start in Seattle at Buffalo because Josh Allen was definitely pounding the process juice and reverted back to early season form. What a day, 415 passing yards, one rushing touchdown, three more passing touchdowns. He got Gabriel Davis, who you and I have talked offline about. I can't quit that guy. And finally, it paid off involved. And there was a chance when you looked at the over-under in this game that a lot of the different pieces in Buffalo's receiving core were going to get involved. What was your immediate takeaway, though, from this matchup? I love how Buffalo went proactive with the pass. Mm. And they did accumulate some rushing stats late in the game when they were so far ahead, they were trying to work on the clock. And so that saved you. If you needed to play Moss or Singletary, you got late touchdowns and stuff like that. But Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator for Buffalo, identified this, look, Seattle can't stop the pass. We don't have to worry about the wind like we did a week ago in New England. And I love the way Buffalo has fortified this offense in recent years where they went out and got Diggs, they went out and got John Brown, they went out and got Cole Beasley, who I think has always been underrated. Yeah, he's not a superstar, but he's just a really great guy on those option routes that keeps keeps drives moving. So it was exciting to see Allen just get his passing game going again because mm-hmm. he's been in a little bit of a throwing slump. And if I'm a Buffalo fan, I would enjoy Brian Dable as long as you have him because I think he's a head coach next year. I really like this guy. I'll give Seattle a pass. It, w- it was a road game, early body clock game. I know the Seahawks have been winning a lot of games on the East Coast in recent years, but it's still a tough trip. I, I still think Seattle is the best team in the NFC West. Incidentally, they're all on a losing streak now. Every NFC mm-hmm. West team has lost this last game and, and some bad 
losses at that. I'll give Seattle a pass. But today I was really impressed with Allen, really impressed with Dable. And I also want to mention David Moore had a touchdown catch in this game. That was a blown coverage. He basically made a fair catch in the end zone. I mean, he was that wide open. Just keep him in mind. We always think about understudy players at running back. You might even think of, oh, I need do I need to insure my quarterback in some leagues? If it's a, a super flex league, maybe you own backup quarterbacks. David Moore, he's not going to be Metcalf. He's not going to be Lockett. But if there's an injury in Seattle ahead of him, I think David Moore would be like inside my top 35 every week just because I like Wilson so much. And I think David Moore can play. So if you're in a situation where you have a bench spot, you're not sure what to do with it, all the backup running backs of interest are gone. I think David Moore is the rare insurance receiver that you can roster. You really can't play him right now, but you may want to be playing him later in the season if somebody were to get hurt. He's also worked in that capacity and is a very obvious and secure red zone target for Russell Wilson for years now. In fact, there have been plenty of summers, non-COVID summers, where Russell Wilson has talked him up over camp. Um, and they definitely have a rapport. And you're right, his volume is not going to be as high as the other guys. But we know when he is getting looked to, he's going to draw a high, usually draws a high value target or is looked to in a, a clutch or key situation. So I like that call a lot. Um just last thing on Josh Allen, I love what you were saying about Dable because I think identifying the pass and not being able, not being afraid of attacking it is also such a way to reestablish Allen's confidence in his arm. You know, he he had two like the game against New England. Obviously, he passed for under um, under two hundred yards, about one hundred and fifty. Two weeks before that, I'm not going to count the Jets game because it's, it's not worth counting. But then the week before, Kansas City, also a under 125 uh, passing yards for Allen. So I think this is a great way to reestablish his confidence. And I also think that when you're mentioning the backfield, people looking for hope as to how to split these two, Singletary or Moss. I mean, they basically had the same number of totes, the same number of yards. They both punched in touchdowns, but I'm still going to lean towards Moss and his goal line potential when he is healthy. If I'm, if I'm trying to break the tie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's going to he's going to get an opportunity to score a short touchdown most weeks before Singletary will. Of course, Allen is still dynamic at the goal line. But if I'm ever playing a Buffalo back until something significantly changes, I'm going to have Moss a, a tier ahead of Singletary going forward. Carolina at Kansas City was an exciting game. I thought this was a fun game. It wasn't, you know, at FFL we talked about, and I feel like throughout the week it's been discussed, that Teddy Bridgewater has overperformed. In fact, this entire Carolina Panthers offense has overperformed. And we knew that Teddy B would likely be chasing points, and that's what made him a stream. And, you know, maybe the, the obvious lead that I'm bearing here is CMC's return, but there was chatter over how much Mike Davis, who had been admirable in CMC's stead, would be involved. And the answer is when you have a star, you use him, and then everything else lifts, and now you're in a competitive contest with perhaps like the most lit offense in the NFL. Yeah, you know, remember it was a while ago because it was a Thursday game, but Carolina looks so bad in that Atlanta game. And it was just encouraging for me to see Bridgewater play. I thought a pretty solid game. They, they gave Kansas city a scare. McCaffrey didn't look any different than he normally looked. This looked like vintage McCaffrey right out of the box. So he's now, I mean, if we were to redraft, he's going to be the first or second pick, depending on how much you, you, you like it, Dalvin cook or Devon, Devonta Adams, maybe, but it's basically back, back in business for McCaffrey. And I was really impressed with the way, the Panther scheme for Curtis Samuel. We know this offense is Robbie Anderson. We know this offense is DJ Moore, but they love to use Samuel 
as a runner. They love to use him on the jet sweep action or that play where he runs right in front of Bridgewater and he throws him the little flip pass, which is how Samuel scored a touchdown today. I joked on Twitter that it's almost like when you play Little League or youth sports and the coach wants his son or daughter to be the star of the team, to score all the touchdowns or the bat fourth or to be the pitcher, whatever it is. I feel like that's what the Panthers do with Samuel. I'm not knocking him. He's a talented guy. But I feel like they're going to scheme him up for either big plays or touchdowns. And I think he may end up being the number two receiver in this offense. I don't think he's more talented than DJ Moore. But the way he's being utilized in the current playbook, I'll tell you, if nothing else, I want Curtis Samuel on my team. I think he's a great flex right now. And I think he might end up being a wide receiver, too, later in the season. Well, I think the thing that you mentioned about Samuel that's been so appealing has been his versatility that you can use him out of the backfield. And what I thought was interesting in this matchup, like we talk about Kansas City having the potential to be leaky versus the run, right? Like that's that's part of the grand plan in Kansas City. Um, But with CMC coming back, I thought it was interesting that Curtis Samuel was still involved in backfield touches. He still saw three totes because there was, I mean, I have... I used him in plenty of leagues where I needed to, but if there were other options, my rationale was, well, he's not going to touch the ball as frequently because Mike Davis and Curtis Sam, uh, Mike Davis and Christian McCaffrey will manage the bulk of the backfield. And so the opportunity for him to be a big play threat won't be there as frequently. What I like is they scheme them touchdowns. They see plays inside the 10 yard line where Curtis Samuel can score them a touchdown and, I'm giving him, I'm willing to give him the upgrade from emergency, flex play, you know, bye week, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's hurt late in the week. That's who I thought Curtis Samuel was going to be two weeks ago. Just like you don't really want to play him, but you could if you have to. Now I think you can be more proactive with it. The other takeaway I had from this game, the Chiefs have so many good players. They may have too many good players. And I was curious after nine McCall Hardman targets last week, I was curious what he'd get this week. He only got four. That doesn't mean it couldn't go back up next week, but eventually they're going to get Watkins to return. So unfortunately, Hart, look, Harbin's one of the fastest guys in the league, you know, right there with, with Tyreek Hill, who just can't cut, stop scoring touchdowns. But I just don't see how we can play Hardman with any confidence. And, and you know, people have asked me questions about Le'Veon Bell. I, I think he's droppable in a lot of formats. It's obviously, obviously contextual. I don't think he's a mandatory insurance for CEH right now. And I don't, think they have much for Bell to do. He'll occasionally dip into value, maybe get double-digit targets now and then. But uh, right now, to me, he's not a must-roster. I could see dropping him in medium and deeper formats. That's an interesting take, and I will say it is anti-consensus. I also was not as faithful about Bell's um, ceiling, even in even attached to Patrick Mahomes and in this field-stretching offense, because... I felt like CEH is the better star and then and, and the better player with the fresher legs and also and the first and yeah the better you know he's the first more recent first round pedigree um but I also feel like Le'Veon Bell was added for insurance more than for this is like one of those moments where you have to, I wish I had known the contract points. Like I wish I had been a fly on the negotiating wall or known his agent because is this Le'Veon Bell who has consistently been about money? Let's be honest. Not that he doesn't deserve it. He's a business person. That business is about money often, right? Um, Is this about Bell retreating from that a little bit? And after a toxic number of years and numerous in the locker rooms, not just the Jets, maybe saying, I just want to win. Like I, I just, I don't want the drama. I'm tired of it. So I don't need to be fed. I'm, I'm a different changed person. And, you know, you see him rotating in on 
every other series, every couple of series. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think we can very safely say, is now the team's RB1. And the fact that he was active in the red area of the field and did find the touchdown, albeit through the air, is even more um, momentum leaning in his direction. Right. If, if you owned CEH, when they got Bell, you got nervous. And then CEH had a huge game against Buffalo. And Bell's been pretty ordinary for three games now. You know, I, I thought the revenge game was going to happen against the Jets. That right. didn't happen. He, he broke off a couple big runs in the Denver game. But, I mean, he's just a backup right now. So if, I'm, if I own CEH, he's an easy every week starter. Yeah, it's a lower end RB1, maybe even a high end RB2. But if you have running backs that you can play every week without having to go through deep analysis, that's a really good thing. And I think CEH belongs in that folder right now. I, I love that take. Um, should we talk about Swaggy Drew showing up <laughs> when he's down? I mean, can Drew Locke just lead instead of making all of these incredible comeback moments? I mean, rushing in a touchdown at the very end of the game, everybody holding their breath. I know a lot of people used him as a stream. He was a value play in DFS this week. Obviously, the matchup is great, especially coming off of what he managed in week eight. And here he goes, 313 passing yards, two touchdowns, an interception and a sack, but also, as I mentioned, that rushing score, seven rushing attempts for 47 yards. He had one more tote than Melvin Gordon and just one few, one less than Philip Lindsay. I mean, I like who he's throwing to. I think Jerry Judy has had kind of an up-and-down rookie year. He was up today, over 100 yards, had a touchdown. He's had some drops in earlier weeks. We'll see what happens when Tim Patrick is fully healthy. He didn't look completely healthy to me today, but he got a touchdown too. Yeah. I like their tight ends. I think Albert is a good player. I think Noah Fant, if I give you nothing else of use here, draft Noah Fant next year. I think he's going to be a star eventually. He's had a couple of stops and starts in two seasons. So I really like the skill talent here. This is not the Denver defense we've been used to in, few, in the last few seasons. Team score on this team. Yeah, it was it was garbage time, and, and I guess all the Falcons fans were probably petrified that Denver was going to get that onside kick at the end of this game and somehow put another chapter. Mm-hmm. You know, the Falcons and the Chargers are the two NFL teams that lose in the strangest ways, and I guess the Chargers decided to to take the mantle for Week 9 while the Falcons actually won a game. But it's not so much that I'm really a believer in Locke, but I like who I believe in everybody he works That's with. That's right. And, so, and, and this defense is just ordinary. This, we're at a time now in this league. Where how many defenses even scare you, right? It's like four or five that I respect, and I feel like everybody else is either mediocre or bad. So there's going to be more spots like this when the schedule lines up because I like the pieces. I, I think Drew Locke is certainly approved for Superflex, and there's going to be DFS moments, and there's going to be streamer moments where we play him again. I like the point you make about his surrounding talent, his supporting cast, and their efficiency. It's a fair point. Tim Patrick, obviously, you mentioned also the touchdown. He continuously see those, sees those high-value targets, even if the volume in this one was not particularly high. But the thing that I continually like, in addition to his supporting cast for Drew Locke, is the fact that so much of John Elway's reputation is riding on this. He wants Drew Locke to work. And by the way, Drew Locke, we all joke about Swaggy Drew and you know his end zone celebrations or his, his touchdown celebrations and his dancing on the field. But like the kid has confidence. If you watch his Mizzou, I mean, that was kind of the knock against him coming out of Mizzou. He is a uh, he's trying to write checks that he may not necessarily have the skill to cash, but he has the confidence. He and and John Elway needs him to be good. So I think when you're looking at matchups, he's obviously not going to be like a top twelve start every week. But I think when you have that culmination, something special can happen. You also mentioned Noah Fant. Um, 
And in case anyone missed it, Noah Fan, who has been dealing with an ankle injury, seemed to re-aggravate that ankle injury. He left the field. He eventually came back on. So keep an eye on that because in this um, in in this group of pass catchers, if Fant, you know, Scott, you talk a lot about narrow passing trees, narrow volume trees, and we don't necessarily have one here. But if Fant were to go out, then I like Albert O more and more, more than just like a touchdown dependent stream. He becomes also noting the connective tissue that he has with Drew Locke from their time at Missouri, at Mizzou, um, more, more interesting and, and more viable. I love that Albert O is universally known as Albert O. We just don't I ain't gonna try to say attempt it. to learn how to spell it, <laughs> yeah. how to pronounce it. It's Albert O. You know, it's like he's, he's in the yeah, yeah, yeahs, you know, singing next to Karen O. Uh, and also, I want to mention Todd Gurley, man. Talk about touchdown. What is touchdown deodorant? It's Todd Gurley. He didn't even average three yards a carry today, but he had a double-digit fantasy day because Todd Gurley scores cheap touchdowns. Even when Todd Gurley isn't supposed to score a cheap touchdown, he scores a touchdown. I... He's just having one of these seasons where I think he's a really compromised player. I, I don't take any joy in that. He's just taking a lot of pounding. He's got the arthritic knees. At least he outtouched Ryan Hill by a wide margin. So yeah. if you own Gurley, you can take heart in that. But man, this guy is just being held up by the, by those inside the five touchdowns. And that's great that he's scoring them. I just don't see any explosion with him. And I'm just worried that when the, the tire is going to blow on those on those knees. Well, so Atlanta is heading into their bye in week 10. They're at New Orleans next week. Is this is there a sell high opportunity for Todd Gurley or do you think you wait out the bye and see where the injuries fall? I'll tell you what I would definitely do. If I were a team that is fighting for a playoff spot, you get to sell Gurley now in week 10 because you can't use him and you yeah. might need to win in week 10. So you say, look, I, you, you just shrug and say, look, I know he's not the Gurley of old, but look at the touchdowns. You know, when they get a pass interference call at the one-yard line, it's Todd Gurley time. Yeah, I, w- I would be trying to take him to market because you have the, something you can sell. You have a usage, you have touches, and you have touchdowns. But I'd be concerned about him going forward. And and look, if as long as he still c- keeps that goal line role, I mean, he's still going to be somebody we rank. I don't get a lot of Gurley questions anymore. I think people kind of know what he is, but – the windows are seldom as, as large in the NFL as we think they are. And I'm, I'm just afraid that Todd Gurley's relevance as a fantasy player is really close to the end. Like, I would not be surprised if this time next year, Todd Gurley isn't even somebody we talk about. Wow, that is a bold take. Um, if Todd Gurley's fantasy window is closing, A.J. Browns continues to be blown wide open, letting in all of the blustering autumn winds, and we are loving it. I mean, how... I I loved him coming out of college, coming out of Ole Miss. Um, the yak ability, the technique, the the route precision, and he just continually like the, the Bears have a good defense, and it doesn't matter. Four catches, just four catches, just four catches, a hundred and one yards and a touchdown. I and I will say his talent. And his yak ability continues to make me believe that he does not need all of the volume in order to consistently produce those kind of numbers. When they, if I'm not watching the Tennessee game primarily and they cut to him on red zone or they cut to an AJ Brown highlight, I just assume it's a touchdown. And I assume it's a touchdown in a way that I've never seen before that he's weaving between five defenders or he's making a crazy catch at the pylon. What an athletic freak. I, I got to hand it to Ole Miss. They had DK Metcalf and AJ yeah, Brown on the same team. They even had yeah. Dawson Knox, who was a good college player. And because they had no defense, they didn't even have a winning record. I know SEC is 
is obviously the, the best conference in college football. But man, what a fun team that must have been. Huge AJ Brown fan. And you know, he had nine targets in this game. There's gonna be weeks he only gets five or six targets. It's interesting that we saw a big just when we thought we could trust Corey Davis, he did nothing in this game. Johnny Smith had a late touchdown after being quiet for most of the game. But I think AJ Brown's gonna be a second round pick next year. And the only reason he's not gonna be a first round pick is because Tennessee is a balanced offense. They they are gonna run Derrick Henry no matter what. He had a quiet game today, but still got twenty one carries. But I could not be more in on AJ Brown. And I, and I know that's a, a crowded bus. I'm not I'm not saying anything that people don't already know. You know, Nick Foles, I want to mention for the Bears, he goes over 300, he gets the two touchdowns, but it's all volume with Foles. His YPA is always in the sixes, and I know the offensive line is is decimated in Chicago, and I, I think Montgomery might have gotten dinged up in this game, and he's running nowhere anyway because there's no running lanes. I, the best thing that happened to Foles this week, and I, I take no joy in saying this, is that Mitch Trubisky had his shoulder examined. They don't need to have surgery on it. I was afraid that maybe they could pull a switch, that maybe Trubisky would play again. And now because Trubisky's not healthy, I don't think it's an option. Foles is a guy who's giving us passable, playable, super flex, maybe streamer option quarterback numbers. I just don't think he's really playing all that well. It's mostly because he's throwing 45, 50 passes a game. Well, I, I don't. I agree with you. I don't think he can do what he does best unless he is given the time to plant his feet and find one of these speed elements like like Mooney, frankly. Um and, and he's I love not, Mooney. I wish Mooney weren't yeah. a different team. I love he, that guy. He's the, the. I think the protection issue is massive for Foles, and I also think that there's a lot. I mean, you mentioned David Montgomery, which is a good point, and he's always being schemed straight up the middle, no gain. Like bear, this is why his YPC is is what in this one, two point one in this one. But are you expecting anything better than that? From I mean, maybe you're expecting what like three point five, three point three yards per carry from Montgomery. And I think part of that is Nagy scheming him straight up the middle, despite the fact that there aren't any lanes. Um, And there's very little creativity there. And also this constant, and it's working for fantasy to a certain extent, this uh, need to just force the ball to Jimmy Graham, as unathletic as he may be, hope he backs his way into the end zone. I mean, he caught all six of his balls for 55 yards and he got the touchdown again in this one. And we know that he's drawing, you know, like I think top three among tight ends in terms of red zone looks. So this is going to be the usage, but it is far from inspiring, especially when you have it, um, when you're watching Tennessee and A.J. Brown go off and get very creative. I mean, Jimmy Graham's basically the Todd Gurley of tight ends. He's totally being propped up by the opportunity to score short touchdowns. There's no explosion in his game anymore. And I know this point has been made a million times. So let's make it a million and one. Props <laughs> to Allen Robinson. Yep. He doesn't care who the quarterback is. I mean, he'd probably love to play with the star at one point, but you know, he had bad quarterback play at Penn State. He had bad quarterback play at Jacksonville. He does not have really good quarterback play right now. And, and that guy just balls out every week and puts up a playable score. This was not the biggest Allen Robinson game, but he finished with a, a line that you would take in fantasy. I just feel like that, that guy's too big to fail. You also drafted him because of his volume, right? You didn't draft him because he was attached to a crazy offense or an incredible quarterback. You drafted him because you knew you were going to get consistency. And that's, to your point, what he's providing. Um, I knew I had to mention him, too. With Matt Harmon not here, I knew somebody had to mention Allen Robinson. So there you go, Matt. I uh, hope you had a, had a good time at your sister's wedding. <laughs> well, let's talk now about Lamar Jackson and Phillip Rivers because Phillip Rivers had um, – He'd been playing much better. It strung together a couple of solid performances. And in this one against this defense, it did not happen. Andy Barron's, by the way, made one of the wittiest Twitter jokes, uh, 
likening Philip Rivers while he was attempting to to tackle after uh, a defender after um, Jonathan Taylor fumbled um, to a turtle on his back, which is a perfectly uh, present and referential to the time that we are in right now um, joke. And I I thought it was spot on. And um, I don't think anyone is using Philip Rivers as a streaming option, especially not in this matchup. But the frustrating part is when you look at the rest of the pieces, like T.Y. Hilton was not on the field this week. Not that it's mattered because he hasn't been an integral part of the offense because Philip Rivers is just basically, you know, checking it down or to, to like everybody. He's spreading it around consistently and and nobody is really rising to the top or emerging as someone exciting, as much as I wish it was Michael Pittman, frankly. This is a frustrating game on both sides for me. Because these offenses can only work for fantasy if we can play the process of elimination game. Mm. We saw last week when Mark Ingram didn't play, Dobbins and Edwards had fantasy playable lines. But they didn't, even without Ingram, they didn't do much today. And in Indianapolis, you know, the box scores as long as the phone book. Maybe if Jack Doyle's hurt, maybe Mo Alley-Cox can get enough volume week in, week out to, to be, I don't know, kind of interesting. We know tight end's an ugly position. Trey Burton was an interesting player two weeks prior, but he, he didn't do anything this game. Hollywood Brown complained about his role, and that went nowhere. Didn't matter. I don't think – I thought they gave a very friendly, unthreatening passing game plan for Lamar Jackson. They wanted to rebuild his confidence. They did enough to win. They also got that early defensive touchdown Baltimore did, which I always wonder if sometimes that gets you out of uh, your mm. sink, out of your rhythm in offense because you don't touch the ball for a long time when that happens sometimes. But – I can't – what can you play here? I mean, Jackson to me is a lesser top 10 quarterback. You'd still play him, but you're not getting what you paid for. Rivers throws like he's wearing three snowsuits and he, and he can't really rotate. You know, he looks like the little kid in the snowsuit, right? He's got no lateral agility and it looks like he's shot putting the ball. And they, they, they don't have anything – Jonathan Taylor did score a touchdown. He also lost the fumble. He only got yeah. six carries while Wilkins had 11. And by the way, for all the – Hosanna's thrown at the Indianapolis offensive line. They are buried in the football outsiders adjusted line yard stat. This team is not run blocking very well either. I think Taylor's struggling with the speed of the game. It looks like he's thinking out there when he should be reacting. I don't like either one of these offenses. for. I know Baltimore's well coached and they'll eventually figure it out, I think. But I thought Baltimore was going to be like one of the most three or four most fun fantasy offenses. And I thought Reich would figure it out, even though I was kind of down on Rivers. I thought, yeah, I'm going to want Jonathan Taylor. I'm, I'm going to want one of their tight ends. I was kind of over T.Y. Hilton. Right now, look at these teams. I don't want to play these guys. I don't want to be asked start start sick questions on Hollywood Brown because I'm going to have to talk them down. I'm at the point now where I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, if you have Hawkinson and Mark Andrews, you're going to start playing Hawkinson. You know, Andrews just isn't consistent enough. So these are really frustrating teams for me. The passing game that we keep talking about in Baltimore just still isn't clicking. And I really thought coming out of this week there would be because of the whole squeaky wheel getting the grease narrative. And the way, frankly, that the that Lamar and Harbaugh and Hollywood Brown to a certain to a lesser extent addressed the issue publicly, that that might create some positive momentum. But, you know, I also gave Baltimore's offense a lot of excuses earlier in the season before we hit the halfway point thinking, well, this is a team that's, that's, they have so many pieces and they have such a good defense that they don't need to figure out this piece. They're tweaking, they're finding themselves in the same way that we saw Arizona mid game against Dallas start to find themselves, right? Like they're using and experimenting because their sites are so set on January that it doesn't matter. But 
now I'm starting to get a little flustered. I, and especially in week 10, we're not, I don't anticipate anything changing for Baltimore. They're at New England. That defense may not be, you know, what it was or what we anticipated it would be because of, because of holdouts and injuries and COVID and a bunch of things. But like, I still don't like that matchup. I, I still don't feel confident, especially when I see the volume coming um, Hollywood's way in, in that matchup. So that's another moment that I think I'm going to hit the pause button. Um, the other problem is, tell me how you think about this. Just when you're looking at, because sometimes when I'm looking at my flex, like I don't think Hollywood Brown is a wide receiver too anymore. That's not where you play him. But when you have him on your roster and you see what he did last week, right? Like only one catch, but it was in the end zone. And you know that his speed is legit. Do you let his talent break the tie or do you flex a lesser player, if you will, who might be in a better situation? My perfect Hollywood Brown situation would be if I could start him as a wide receiver three or a flex, and I had two very high volume, consistent players to pair him with. Mm. So he can be the boomer bus guy. And I can hope it's the week he goes four for 123 and two touchdowns because that will happen at some point. And if he has the type of quiet game that we've seen be commonplace for him, it's not going to hurt me that much because I have consistent drum beats in the other two spots. If you can do that, that's great. But let's call a spade a spade. I, usually when we think about fantasy offenses letting us down, so often it's injury-related. Dak Prescott got hurt. The Dallas offense got shipwrecked. New England's playing with all these anonymous receivers. Cam Newton wasn't healthy for a long period of time. Baltimore, no relation to injuries. Yeah, they lost. You know, they're great. Uh, Stanley, they're great. They're great offensive linemen, and, and Ingram's hurt right now, which actually may be helping them. I think this offense is the biggest disappointment in fantasy, and I don't even think it's close. Wow, I think that that's a bold statement, and I think we. I, I don't disagree. I just. It's even hard for me. I, I love that you're decisive about it, and I think that's helpful to our listeners. It's hard for me to get there, um, but I think maybe I need to like reconcile my emotions about the team versus what we're seeing on a weekly basis. And that's one other thing too. They won today, and they probably should have beaten Pittsburgh. They had a huge advantage mm-hmm. in yardage that day. Just Jackson had the four turnovers, so there's really no incentive to change anything. They're not going to say, "Oh, we got to dig all this up." You know, this is broken. They're going to be like, "Okay, let's win with defense. Let's win with the running game." But that's where I actually go into a different direction when I'm thinking about this team because I don't. This team doesn't want to have the reputation of not. I mean, what was it they, when they were playing Kansas City? When they have to chase points, it doesn't happen for them, and or that's where they struggle. And I can't imagine that Harbaugh wouldn't want a more nuanced and layered approach to his offense, knowing that as you head towards the postseason, you're going to have to find those situations because the tomato cans get weeded out. Great point. And you know what I think this team really needs to do? And they did a little bit of it last year. One of the cheat codes, there are really two offensive cheat codes, I think, right now. Quarterback who can run, and they obviously have a great one in Jackson. And also throwing the ball to your running backs, which they haven't done very much this year. They got some of that last year with Ingram. If they can get Dobbins going as a receiver... I think that would add, and because he's he's so dynamic and make people miss. Mm-hmm. He's so vers his lateral agility is excellent. I think that's the missing link in this offense. Is they're not getting too, enough easy plays that don't involve Jackson's athleticism. They need to find a way with and maybe even bubble screens to Hollywood Brown. Let's see more of that too. Let's get these guys the ball in space. See if they can make a man miss and get some of those easy plays that are out there. You could run them five six times a game. 
Your lips to Harbaugh's ears. How about that? Let's talk about Dalvin Cook in this NFC North matchup between the Lions and the Vikings. Dalvin Cook coming off of a 200-plus yard performance. Does it again. 206 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Not his four that he had in week eight, but my goodness, how how am I not how am I not paying up for him in DFS? Well, how have I not I keep thinking that this will be the week that it doesn't happen, you know? Like I'm gonna pay all this money and then and then it's not gonna happen. And he's proving me wrong every single Sunday. Yeah, he's become the oh crap of my playing against Dalvin Cook. Yeah, you know, he's become that guy. 46 receiving yards, too. He had the best game in uh, among running backs in PPR scoring last week of the season, the number one game of the year. And this this game, as uh, we tape this, is the number six running back game of the season. So he had those back-to-back. He scored a touchdown in all seven of his games. Uh, this guy, he's doing everything. And we know Minnesota runs to set up the run. Yeah. They have the heaviest um, run tendency in the NFC. It's not even close. They're like three or four percentage points above everybody else in the conference. Gary Kubiak, run designer, Mike Zimmer, he wants to run the ball. They've thrown, I think, 34 passes their last two games, which they've won. And and I talked about the adjusted line yards ranking earlier of the Colts. Minnesota's actually in the top five. I think they're fourth right now in adjusted line yards. So Cook's getting help. He's making the line look good, too, because he's dynamic. What I love about Cook is he has a lot of successful runs, a lot of five-yard runs, a lot of seven-yard runs, a lot of six-yard runs, and then he breaks one off and he gets mm. a 40-yard run or he houses one from from midfield or something. So I think I think this guy, if we redrafted, depending on how you felt about McCaffrey, I think he's the, he's the first or second most important person in fantasy right now. He's a chiseler. That's what I like to call that kind of running back. A and I have almost none of them. I'm getting nothing out of this, Liz. I'm not, and I'm not DFSing him either because I'm incredibly stubborn or, or yep. dumb or something, but I'm getting nothing out of this. The Lions backfield, I think we learned something, and I think it portended to be good news for DeAndre Swift. He continued to widen the gap between himself and Adrian Peterson, 13 rushes for 64 yards for the rookie, and then nine rushes for 29 for uh, the older gentleman, for the veteran. Um, this game was wonky. I know that you you know live near Detroit, so perhaps you watched the Lions contest, m- my apologies, a little more closely, but Matt Stafford you know, got knocked out with a concussion, and then he cleared the protocol, but he didn't come back, and you had Chase Daniel under center, and that guy has just been like, he's rotated his way through the NFC North, my goodness, in the backup ranks. Um, no, Also, like I, I think ultimately this is not by any means a bold take or even something particularly illuminating, but without Kenny Galladay, this offense just doesn't lift. It doesn't go anywhere. Sure, Danny Amendola drew what, seven, because he caught seven balls. He drew 10 targets. Gross. I don't care. I don't want to pick up Danny Amendola. I don't want that headache on my bench. What I want is I, I advocated for Marvin Hall and that blew up in my face, but that's also just like a difference in how I want to play the game. I would rather flex someone like Marvin Hall who could go off against a defense that had like three of its cornerbacks on the injury report come Thursday than dealing with this dink and dunk BS from Danny Amendola. And, you know, you know that there's going to be a ton of waiver wire, uh, waiver wire pickup columns and articles and videos. And I refuse to put Danny Amendola on any that I contribute to. Yeah, you're right on Amendola. I'm not going to pay any attention to him either. We've seen Marvin Jones disappear without Galladay before. He had the touchdown, but really quiet game here. 
I'm encouraged by the swift trend. At least it's going in the right direction. I, I think they should just give Peterson, you know, three to five touches a week. They're going past that. But at least swift was the high end of the platoon, which is a positive step forward. I still think they should throw the ball more to Hawkinson than they do, but he scored again. Yeah. Tight ends are always open. There's no way to cover a tight end because they're bigger than everybody else on the field. He's got great hands. He was a first-round pick. I, I think he's a superstar waiting to happen. And if you're going deeper a tight end, I want to say something about Irv Smith. He had a couple That's of good it. games into last week, and he did almost nothing last week. But, again, that was Cousins throwing just a, a handful of passes. Smith ran a lot of routes in that game, which was encouraging. And then today he stole a couple of short touchdowns. Now, look, if they go to you at the goal line, if they see that as an option, obviously everybody's going to try to gang up on Cook at the goal line. I think Cook could – I think Smith could score another three to five touchdowns in the second half. And in a year where tight ends have been horrible – I think he's already in the top 15, and he may inch into that top 10, top 12 going forward. I, I think if, if you don't have a good tight end, if you don't have Hawkinson, who I think is terrific, I think Irv Smith may be somebody with, with lower expectations, of course, that you could play in the second half of the year. We saw that in week five, the Seattle game. He emerged as like the third option among the pass catchers. Um, and then even the week after that, again, the, the, the matchup was generous. He had Atlanta. Another, I believe, five targets and four catches. He didn't find the end zone, but you're seeing him rack up yardage. And listen, if my if my tight end is getting me four catches for 55 yards, I'm going to take it, right? Like, would I prefer, you know, we talked about Johnny Smith earlier, right? He had three catches. He had two catches for 30-some-odd yards and a touchdown. If he hadn't had that touchdown, we'd, been saying, we'd be saying something very differently. These guys remain touchdown dependent. But when you see Irv Smith making running the routes, 31 apiece in weeks five and six that you're mentioning, and drawing a significant number of targets, and is also like a security blanket for, let's be honest, a quarterback who can son- sometimes like just his brain can short circuit. <laughs> I think that that is someone that you might want to consider using even if you know that some weeks you're going to end up with one catch for 16 yards like he did in week eight. He has touchdown equity. He's on an offense that doesn't really have a third wide receiver. Yeah. And he has a pedigree. He played at Alabama. I think he was a second round pick. He's in his second year, which is a lot of times when we see tight ends blossom. You know, we, we see wide receivers now can hit the ground running, but the tight end position usually takes more time to get familiar in the NFL game. So again, look, I'm not saying it's going to be a top five tight end, but sure. if you're struggling at the position, I think you could do a lot worse than Irv Smith. NFL bloodlines too. Um, yeah, there you go. His father was a tight end. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Ole Miss and AJ Brown and DK Metcalf. Evan Ingram is starting to rebound a little bit. I liked him in this matchup against the Washington football team, who, by the way, underperformed to such a level. And I, I have to ask you before I get to Evan Ingram, because now that it's on my mind, I and so did Andy. Andy and I talked about this during the halftime FFL show. Um, I was streaming Washington everywhere. I, I liked them in DFS as well, especially against Daniel Jones. No Golden Tate in this one. Um, are you I, – I am interested in potentially giving them a pass because of how gruesome the injury to Kyle Allen was and how they witnessed that and then just being a little bit shook. Are you – maybe willing to grant them that grace or are you reevaluating? I'm frustrated. Um, in the bold predictions article, I said Washington would win this game. I said they would cover this game. I said, I like them as a plus 400 long shot to win the NFC East. And I thought I saw this game and I said, you know, what's going to happen in this game is going to be a bunch of turnovers. And there were sure. a bunch of turnovers, five of them by Washington, yeah. none of them 
by Danny Dimes and the Giants, although, although Dimes was sacked five times. He did fumble twice, but both of the fumbles were recovered by the Giants. And man, did you see that Gibson fumble that where every player on the field had a chance to recover it and somehow it didn't score it out of bounds? I'm a little bit jaded here. I have some Washington tickets that are now in my trash can. <laughs> they did make the game close. Uh, Smith played better than I expected. I was afraid he might be thrown to the Wolves. And you know, we, we saw how he played in the first game back. It's just a miracle he's on the field. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously he's a great story, but he let it rip. You know, he, the touchdown pass to McLaurin wasn't really open. He just said, here, Terry, make a play. And, and Terry beat triple coverage and, mm-hmm. and raced down the field. What a special talent he is. I still see off, uh, ups, upside with this team because I, I think maybe Smith with starter reps will play a little bit better. McLaurin is special. I like the backfield talent. I think Gibson can be your exciting primary back. Maybe he's not really a lead back because he may not have the body type for that, but he can be your primary guy. McKissick isn't a bad player. He did fall down on one of those interceptions. McLaurin's certainly special. And the defense was top five in DVOA into this week. We know the pass rush. Jack Del Rio, I think, is doing a good job with that unit. Chase Young is, is just a, a star waiting to Next happen. Level, and yep. So. Yeah, so I, I I feel like if they replayed this game 10 times, I think Washington would win six or seven of them. But again, the way the game went early with a muffed punt, with that Gibson play at the at the sideline, which was very unusual, McKissick falling down that led to an interception. I think the Giants kind of ran pure in this game. I would like to say, I don't have much to say on the Giants, but I'll say this. I don't see any reason why Wayne Gallman can't be their best running back. I don't know why they had to sign Devonta Freeman. Gallman looks fine to me. I think he's quick. I think he can make that first person miss. I think you can run interior stuff with him. Special back? No. Capable NFL back? Yes. And he's been productive for a couple of weeks. He, he did something against Tampa Bay, and they're the best defense in the league, if you ask me. And then against the Washington defense, it's probably top five. He had another good fantasy day. I also admit, until a few weeks ago, I didn't even realize Alfred Morris was still in the league. So uh, just kudos to this guy for still one of my all-time favorite players, he came into the league with no pedigree, no money. He was driving a car that was like 20 years old. I'm an Alfred Morris guy. I'm not going to play him for fantasy, but I'm just impressed that he's still cashing the NFL check. And he got a little bit of a revenge game here, if you will. Uh, Wayne Gallman, you mentioned earlier, if Devonta Freeman is still not active in Week 10, Gallman currently 25% rostered in Yahoo Leagues. The point I was making about Evan Ingram, I feel like there is um, a concerted effort now to get Ingram more involved. We saw him draw a ton of targets, believe double-digit targets in Week 8. Yes, he saw 10 against Tampa Bay and then 10 again uh, today against Washington. And when you are looking at the Washington defense, I liked him in this matchup. I don't have much much exposure to Ev- Evan Ingram personally, but Washington is tougher to beat on the outside defensively. So you want a bigger body over the middle when attacking Washington. And I think Evan Ingram was able to, you know, he, he scored. He only converted 50% of his looks. But that is a way when I'm approaching Washington, for instance, next week, Washington has um, the Lions. So it's another TJ Hawkinson game as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I just like that pattern and I wanted to share it because you're right. There isn't much else, not enough meat on the Giants bone to really dig deep there. Um, Houston to Jacksonville was fun. I love the way this game started. I mean, there was a lot of talk coming in about, yeah, there's a thumb issue that Gardner Minshew is dealing with, but there were whispers that he was maybe going to get benched anyway. And there was this fervor for Lutton and Lutton was, he has a stronger arm. That was, you know, the, the, the tidbit, the narrative, he has a stronger arm. He was going to push the ball deeper. And oh, lo and behold, that remains a pretty good match for a receiver like DJ Chark right off of the top. Yeah, I, I think it's Luton. I watched a Luton, bunch of I'm... Luton tape 
the last week because I knew nothing. I, I don't remember seeing him in college at Oregon State. So I just wanted to get a little bit familiar with him. And I didn't know how to say it, to be honest with you. And when he was plugged into this game, we asked his fantasy players, well, is this going to sink James Robinson? Is this going to sink G.J. Chark, who's been frustrating most of the year? And immediate, what do we get immediately? A long home run hit to D.J. Chark, and he's engaged the whole game. And James Robinson is the same guy he's been on the field constantly, extending drives, pushing the pile. He gets another touchdown, all these touches. He, he's set and forget. He's a running back one, and I don't mean like like ninth or tenth. He's like a top five guy in the league right now because he's – not going to come off the field. And Luton, I think, is going to be good enough to sustain offense. We know the defense stinks. So I was really excited. I, I don't know if Luton's going to be any good, but all I really wanted him to be was maybe the good version of what we thought Minshew was a few weeks ago or a few months ago, whenever that was when we actually liked Minshew. Right. And I'll put my hand up because I was a Minshew guy. But you know, if you have busted fingers, you know, how well can you really throw the ball if your thumb's all messed up? So I thought this was a really fun game. And even though I'd like to see more consistency in Houston's offense, I mean, look, the, the guys you wanted to play did something. Yep. Long touchdown for uh, for for Fuller. A long touchdown early in the game for Cooks. Watson is just a wonderful player, and and, and maybe maybe Duke Johnson. I, I know he didn't have really good efficiency stats, but he was finally forced on the field. Nobody ever seems to really want to play Duke Johnson. The Browns didn't want to do it. The Texans didn't want to do it. We'll see if David Johnson can get out of concussion protocol. But this was a fantasy game where most of the reasonable angles you would have taken probably paid off in the end. Well, except for David Johnson managing to beast. Yeah. Um, sure. He was a DFS play for me. But um, spinning it forward a little bit, Luton will take on the Green Bay Packers in Week 10. And remember, Jay Alexander uh, was concussed. So he has to clear concussion protocol, which I think makes DJ Chark – you know, you look at that matchup and you're like, oh, I don't know about it. But I think you can be confident in DJ Chark and also continue to be confident in James Robinson for all of the points you just made and also because the matchup is favorable. You make a great call with Chark, too, because remember, it was Courtney Roby being out that helped him be get loose in this game because he didn't do anything in the first Houston matchup. So maybe the absence of Roby helped Chark, and he was really wide open on that long touchdown. So that's a great call if Robinson can't go next week. I would think Chark is probably going to be in the teens for me on my run, on my receiver board. I like it. All right, the late, the latest afternoon games. Miami at Arizona was a lot of fun. We kind of got to see Tua Tungvaluli ripped off a, a couple of one seventeen yard run that was exciting, but we got to see him in action because the team just couldn't rely on the defense in this one, and we knew that the Cardinals are an offense that put up points, so that meant you know that. The Tua was going to have to throw the ball, and he did manage just under 250 passing yards and two scores. He hit my boy Preston Williams. This was like one of my one of my most successful, unfortunately, calls for the week, but I felt very confident in it. And then uh, Mac Hollins, unfortunately, I didn't see that one coming. I don't know if you did. Nobody ever sees Mac Hollins coming. <laughs> I honestly didn't know he was on the Dolphins. I'll admit that. It was you know Tua. They won last week because they had all those return touchdowns and they had that one yard touchdown drive. And they basically said, look, you know, sit back. We got this one. We're not going to expose you. We're not going to let Aaron Donald ruin your career. The first start you make, mm -hmm. they needed him to be proactive. They needed him to throw downfield. They needed him to run a little bit, to be athletic. He did all those things. I, w I wouldn't say he was great in this game. I thought he was good. And I thought he was poised and I was impressed by him. And I, I like the fact that, he targeted his four main guys. Three quarters of the targets here went to Parker, Williams, Gusecki, and Grant. 
And, you know, especially those first three guys, they're people we'd like to play for fantasy. I've been disappointed in Gusecki most of the year, but maybe he can get something going. So I'm very impressed with Tua. Uh, We knew Jordan Howard would do what he did, 10 for 19 with a touchdown. That's He's basically the poor man's uh, Todd Gurley at this point. On the other side, if you had told me, I've been waiting on Chase Edmonds all year. (laughs) If you told me, hey, P&O, 28 touches for Chase Edmonds, I'm like, oh, my God, what, 200 yards, 250? Did he beat Dalvin Cook? No, no, no. See, this is what happened. They went up to Chase Evans and say, look, Chase, you're spelling Kenyon Drake this week. And he goes, oh, I can do that. You mean like average <laughs> 2.8 a carry, you know, and frustrate everybody and, and go nowhere and help the team lose the game? Yeah, no no problem. I can be Kenyon Drake. So I'm afraid now, and I'm not going to put it all on Edmonds, but man, Murray was terrific. And you know that the Dolphins are primarily worried about stopping Murray. Miami had one of the worst rushing defenses in the league coming into this game. So I'm frustrated. I, I thought Edmonds was going to smash. I thought I felt so smart having all these Edmonds shares put into play, at least to get a passable score through the volume. But, man, you just know this means that as soon as Drake comes back, Edmonds is going to be on the bench. Well, I think that that's fair. But I think if we can continue to look at the bright side, I agree with your frustration over Chase Edmonds. Um, how about Christian Kirk emerging as a legit weekly play, not just for fantasy, but also for the Cardinals here. I mean, this is the kid. Remember when we, I met him a couple of times, actually. He's a really, he's a great kid. Very, very smart, very committed. And I know that sounds very tropish, but it is true. Cause sometimes, you know, we meet these players and we don't say that. Uh, but Kirk was drafted to be the heir to the Larry Fitzgerald slot throne. And in fact, he's so much more than that. And he's being used in creative fun ways. He's a home run hitter. Um, we saw him do it in the Dallas game. We, we saw him do it. I think he had a couple of splashy plays in the Seattle game, although that game was so crazy in my memory. I, I don't trust it anymore. And, <laughs> you know, he was wide open on his touchdown today. He was somebody I was super high on into last draft season, the 2019 draft season. Then I kind of backed off the way the summer went a little bit. And then remember, he didn't have any touchdowns all season except for one game. I think he scored three touchdowns in one game. But the rest of the year, he was hurt a lot right. and, and the rotations didn't fall his way. I think he's now blossoming into the player that we were all excited about maybe a couple of years ago. I I have probably not been proactive enough ranking him, DFSing him. And I know it feels a little bit like chasing points, but I think he's a receiver too right now. Oh, receiver too. I think that that, uh, that, is, that is pretty bold. I mean, I didn't draft him in wide receiver two range, so I'm comfortable flexing him. I actually have him on a lot of my dynasty teams because I was so impressed with him coming out of college. So my dynasty teams are a whole nother story. Maybe, maybe, I mean, the point is you may have two good receivers or three good receivers anyway, and you can, you can play him as a flex or a wide receiver three that here's the point. I will proactively play Kirk until he lets me down. He he is in the circle of trust right now. You are going to prioritize him, which makes good sense. And, um, he draws the Buffalo Bills next week. So that should be interesting. Um, Justin Herbert and Derek Carr, two former, it's, it's interesting, like the former Los Angeles Raiders playing the current Los Angeles Chargers, just a, a bit of a geographical uh, mind blow. Uh, Justin Herbert, uh, 326 passing yards, two touchdowns, still clean, no interceptions. Um it was a bit tilting to see Kalen Balaj out on there uh, toting the ball. What like fifteen double digit d- double digit totes? Justin Jackson obviously was hurt in this one. Um, Troy Main Pope 
was not active. Uh, so now we see Balage, who was activated in replacement of Pope, garnering the bulk of the backfield touches, which I have to like imagine is so damning for the rookie, for Kelly. I didn't catch this. What, what actually happened to Jackson? Do you know? All I know is he was out of the game like immediately. I don't. I know think if he, he hurt himself on the first, the first drive, snap. and then you might okay. not have mixed it. But I don't. I know he hurt himself on the first drive because I was watching intently a kickoff, but I don't know what it was. A uh, knee injury. So he hurt his knee on um, the first drive, and then was absent for the rest of the contest. I'm worried that this Charger backfield is not going to be projectable. I think guys will have decent games, and Balaj certainly was good today. Nobody could have come up with that ahead of no. time. But now you have Balaj in the mix. You have Kelly in the mix. Jackson will eventually get back in the mix. Pope looked really good in that Denver game before he had that concussion. So I don't know how you're going to, unless one player has multiple games in a row and, and kind of puts his foot down, I think week in, week out, we're going to have no clarity in where the touches are going to go. And I think a lot of times it's just going to be hot hand or you know, who didn't make a mistake. You know, somebody blows the pit, blitz pickup, puts the ball on the ground, which Kelly's had problems with. So even though there's talent here, I think there's just too many guys and they're not going to commit to one player. The one guy I wish I had, there's really, I don't know what's actionable about this because Keenan Allen, of course, is owned in every league. I think he's the number two receiver on the board right now because he gets double-digit targets every game with Herbert. The only time he hasn't was the New Orleans game when he was hurt in that game. Other than that, he averages, I think, like 12 or 13 targets a week. He's peppered the moment they come off the bus. He scores touchdowns. He runs different routes. I, I really think they should have used him on one of those two snaps at the goal line at the end of the game rather than throwing the, the low percentage fade, although both of them looked really close to being completed. But still, if you got Keenan Allen... and I've always been kind of nervous to draft Allen. I, I don't think he has a lot of touchdown upside most years, but Herbert's special. Again, if I was redrafting, he's a first-round pick. I wouldn't take him over Adams. I need to see something from Thomas. A couple of quiet games from Hopkins we didn't talk about in the Arizona segment, but whatever. Every receiver has a quiet game now and then. But Herbert just says to Allen off the bus, you're, you're getting a dozen targets today, and that's a huge currency in fantasy. So congratulations if you have him. I, I think you're going to get a huge profit on what you paid. I get a lot of Mike Williams questions every week, and I think that's reflected in, you know, you answer the questions while we're doing FFL and in real time. So I imagine you're seeing those as well. And I, I, you know, you mentioned the would-be touchdown. I mean, I feel like Williams is getting these high-value looks. He could have had a touchdown in this one. Um, And even though Herbert has been spreading the ball around, he is narrowing those opportunities. And when I think about what Justin Herbert does best, and I think about what Mike Williams does best, I think about those two in perfect harmony, and I'm never not going to sit or flex or wide receiver three Mike Williams in these situations. Throws a really good high point ball, Herbert, and that's what Williams does, yep. right? He he can win contested. Came so close to catching the game-winning touchdown. And, and given that the first throw had to be in a short amount of time, I thought it was actually reasonable. I, I'm, you know, I'm like Mina Kimes. I hate the fade, too. But I thought in that position you could call it once. I think the Chargers got unlucky that Williams was knocked out of bounds on the previous play. And I don't know why they kept the clock running. I, I think the Chargers got screwed on that play. But I'm with you. Just to, to synthesize it to the shortest um, conclusion here, I think Williams is in the circle of trust. And I think both he's in Herbert's circle of trust and he's in fantasy circles of trust. Josh Jacobs is not only in the circle of trust, he's also in the medics circle of trust because it doesn't matter how much he is hurt. You will see him, and he did it his rookie season too with a bad shoulder. Like you will see him 
limp and be hampered, but he is consistently getting volume and producing, and maybe he's not as efficient as he could be, but damn, could he be efficient then? I, I will take 65 yards and a touchdown in week nine, given the re- running back landscape. Yeah, he, I mean, he's just a human broken tackle, and they want to pound the rock. Uh, they ran all over Cleveland. They basically junked the passing game in that windy Cleveland game. What's frustrating to me for the Raiders is they had 10 Waller targets, but everybody else yeah. had three or fewer. You know, Aguilar got loose for a late touchdown. I thought people mistakenly were burying Aguilar for the Cleveland game. And again, it was a windy game. They yeah. didn't want to throw the ball deep. But three targets, you know, in a climate-controlled situation in, in Los Angeles, that's not going to feed the cat. Hunter Renfro, I think, is underused. He only had three targets. Ruggs didn't have a catch in this game. So right now, even though the Raiders' offense has been a lot better than I thought, and I think they're top seven or top eight in DVOA on Football Outsiders, other than Jacobs or maybe lesser expectations for Carr, you're going to play Waller. I don't think you can play any of the other receivers right now. I think that that's fair. Also, just worth keeping an eye on because when you're talking about the spreading around to the different receivers other than Waller, Brian Edwards was cleared for this one. That's the rookie that everybody was excited about. I was excited about him. Um, He didn't draw a single look, but he was cleared for this one. So I think that that, it it figures that um, the receiving core should be even more muddied once Edwards is assumedly back to full health. I just don't see any projectable targets week in, week out with any of the receivers. That's going to be a problem. If we're talking about problems, I feel like you're not going to look at the Pittsburgh-Dallas game and say that Dallas has problems. But I feel like actually Pittsburgh has problems because this game should not have been close. Pittsburgh did not get up for this game. You saw it at the end. You saw the urgency, the, oh, crap, we are we are not going to remain um, undefeated so often when we talk about, I feel like when we talk about Matt Stafford and the Lions, we talk about the level, uh, he plays up to the level of his opponent. And to me, you know, people will mention like, well, Ben Roethlisberger got banged up in this one and we know what's behind him and Mason Rudolph. But like, nah, I, I just felt like this entire Pittsburgh Steelers um, outfit came in completely unprepared and not like underestimating the Dallas Cowboys, which is fair, but they're still an NFL team. Totally spot on. That's I'm a big Mike Tomlin fan, but I think the one big critique that he's had during his tenure in Pittsburgh is that they tend to play down to the level of their competition and that they play. It's very common for them. And you see this a lot in Survivor. You'll have like Pittsburgh as a nine-point favorite, 10-point favorite, 11-point favorite, and you'll be like, why aren't they putting away the Bengals? What's going on here? So this felt like a very Mike Tomlin Pittsburgh game where they just thought they could show up, name the score. And here's the sneaky thing. I don't think people recognize this. The Dallas defense has not been bad the last three weeks. The offense, for the most part, has been struggling. Today, Garrett Gilbert, I thought, played better than anybody had a reason to expect. He was capable. Uh, I sure think Tony Pollard right now, healthy, is better than Ezekiel Elliott, probably not healthy. And I'm curious to see what Dallas does. After the bye week, maybe Zeke will be healthy. Then remember, he had COVID earlier in the season too, uh, I guess in the preseason. So I'm not sure if that's affecting Elliott's health right now. But Pollard's been the guy throwing them juice. So I think Dallas is is right now just a bad team, but not like the historic punching bag, like maybe the Jets are or some other teams. I think think they're actually a little bit better than they may be getting repped right now. And congratulations, they finally got to the window. They had not cashed a ticket. They had not covered the spread all season. Mm. They were 0-8. They finally, of course, covered the the massive spread today. It was never in doubt, but 
I think it's Tomlin has this reputation, the Steelers have this reputation, not taking lesser teams seriously, out of conference game. They just had a big win against Baltimore. Man, were they flat today. And I think Dallas, I, I would give Gilbert another start. And I think they're just going to be kind of a mediocre team the rest of the way. Maybe you can play Lamb again. He had a touchdown. Cooper That's at it. 67 yards. Dalton Schultz was involved. So all of a sudden, Dallas goes back to being interesting where a couple of weeks ago it was head to the hills. I don't want to touch any of these guys. There's a, there is a salvation piece to Garrett Gilbert's play in this one. And, you know, we'll see if now that there's tape available on him, another defense comes in and is able to scheme differently. We've seen, a, you know, adjustments like that happen. But I love that you mentioned these other receivers because when, when Danucci was under center, it felt very much like he and Cooper had the, the best rapport, the most immediate rapport at least, right? And Andy Dalton had good chemistry with Michael Gallup. And we don't know, like Andy Dalton's on the COVID list. I don't know what, who's going to be. Could the, the starter next week could be Cooper Rush for all we know, right? Like anything is possible. I, I like your point about Gilbert. And if it is Gilbert, I'm more comfortable with CeeDee Lamb, especially knowing what CeeDee Lamb can do after the catch and therefore pad his numbers. Dallas heads into the bye, but I don't see how you can't give Gilbert another start after giving Pittsburgh all they could handle. And and if not for a couple of Mike McCarthy yeah. decisions, look, I mean, we're always going to criticize Mike McCarthy for something, but I felt like this game was there to be won for Dallas, and Pittsburgh has to be consider itself very lucky to escape with this win. All right, let's talk in Pittsburgh. Um, let's focus on Pittsburgh for a second because there were two surprises, for me at least. See, maybe they didn't surprise you. James Conner falling flat in this one, surprising. And I don't think we can just say it was game script, by the way. Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, he also wasn't efficient. So, yes, game script, but also not up. Um, and then Juju Smith-Schuster, I did not anticipate finding the end zone and going over 90 yards. Yeah, I definitely didn't see Connor coming. I, I'm positive I had him in the top 10. Yeah. And did. some people were asking me start-sit questions where Connor was the assumed starter and there were other guys they were considering. And I was like, yeah, of course you're going to start Connor against the, the Cowboys, you know, 14, 15-point favorite by kickoff. I didn't, you know, 11 touches for 20 yards. That doesn't work. I don't care who you're up against. That's not acceptable. And then when they got behind, they had to kind of junk the running game. But he had more than enough touches to do something. Early. I'm always I'm always heartened when Juju does something because I feel a little bit sad about Juju. He's it's the final year of his deal. It's pretty obvious they have young talent. They're not going to bring him back. I think he's a good player. I, I maybe he played a little bit over his head when they had Antonio Brown, and maybe he's better suited to be your number two receiver. We know they have unbelievable receiver talent here. It's been said many times that nobody drafts receivers like the Steelers and they don't even use first round picks on it. I don't know what special sauce they have that the rest of the league seems to not have. God knows my Patriots don't have it, but I'm just, I just feel good when Juju has a good game because I think when Claypool goes off or Deontay Johnson goes off, people just want to dump on Juju. He's still a good player. I just don't think he can be a true number one. I also don't think he can be a consistent fantasy play, right? Like fair. You, you're, you know that, that this box score is going to rotate between the three of these players, the three of these receivers, and Eric Ebron, frankly, as a red zone option when they're all healthy. And so when you land on Juju, you land on Juju, but it's always going to be a bit of a um a bit of a roulette wheel when dealing with him. The problem too is there there isn't a dedicated receiver for them around the goal line. So 
Ben threw three touchdowns today that went to three different guys who you could, you could never play James Washington when everybody's healthy. He gets one of them. Ebron, what was he? Maybe top 10, top 12 tight end somewhere in there. He's playable, but he could do nothing in any week. Um, I, I think teams are scheming Claypool. Like he's the guy that scares them the most. I just, it seems like I haven't gone deep into the tape coverage on that. I'm curious what Harmon has on that or if you've seen anything on that, but it's just hard to know where the touchdowns. They're going to be touchdowns in this offense. It's just hard to feel like anybody here. I know Claypool had that one game when he went bananas, but I feel like it's going to be very equally distributed. And it's going to maybe, it's at the point where I, I don't want to rank any of these guys in the top like 20 or top 25. They're all like lower end wide receiver two, higher end wide receiver threes for me. And clumped pretty closely together too. Yes, that's true. Great point. Um, you mentioned the receiving core in New England. We're going to see the Ugh. Patriots who should be able to do something at the Jets Mm -hmm. on Monday night football. I like this as a spot for the Patriots to get right, if you will, much to the um, chagrin of the Jets, who obviously loathe New England. Um, I don't... when we're looking at, so we're going to have Joe Flacco. You, you've you made this point. In fact, I, I should credit you with this because this was a giant um, evolvement in my analysis. And I feel like I learned it from you because oftentimes people look at easy matchups and they think, oh, this guy will go off. But the secondary piece of the analysis has to be, per Scott Pianowski, does the other team have the ability to fight back? Because if they don't have the ability to fight back, then there isn't going to be a huge amount of volume and opportunity, and it's going to turn into leaning on the run in the defense, right? So thank you, first of all, for for teaching me, Sensei Pianowski, in that regard. Um, But when I look at this and I think about Joe Flacco under center, I thought of you because I don't know. I mean, I'm not projecting a giant passing volume because I don't think that Joe Flacco is going to be able to efficiently fight back against the Patriots, especially yeah, well if Jamison put. Crowder is banged up. Well put. You know, I need Crowder in some teams. And what's forced me to do is carry a caddy in this game, a lesser player who I can plug in if Crowder's not healthy. So do I have to play a, a Berrios? Do I, do I have to play a Rex Burkhead? God, I don't want to. And, and by the way, you mentioned the Jets loathe the Patriots. Don't kid yourself. Bill Belichick loathes the Jets. This is the team that he always wants to beat, other than, you know, the main contenders. He probably wants to beat Kansas City really bad or Baltimore, but he cannot stand the Jets as much as the Jets can't stand the Patriots. So at least we have some rivalry juice, albeit neither team is good. I mentioned Jacoby Myers in this game. He's been good the last two weeks. The Patriots, their collection of uh, undrafted wide receivers – you know, because Harry's been hurt and, you know, Edelman's not healthy right now. They don't, the tight ends haven't really popped the guys that they drafted. So Myers, I think, has something like 120 yards receiving the last two weeks. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but I could see him useful in like a five for 64, maybe a touchdown. He had a two-point conversion in the Buffalo game, which I think speaks to possible touchdown equity down the road, although Cam Newton would rather go to the dentist than than throw a touchdown pass. I, I can't remember the last one he threw. Uh, in fact, I think the last Patriots touchdown pass was week three. Week the week they played Kansas City, it was Hoyer to Harry. That's you know that that's a lot. Or maybe Stidham to Harry. I don't even remember. It, it was Akil Harry, which which tells you all you need to know. I like Myers in this game. I think Crowder's certainly playable if the if he gets cleared. But the problem is you need to clear a spot for him, and if he doesn't play, you need somebody else. I'd probably play Myers over Crowder. I'm nervous that maybe Sony Michelle will be active in this game because that takes away all the juice for Harris, who's Look pretty good the last couple of weeks. And of course, the Patriots get near the goal line. We worry that Cam's going to bogart it and get the touchdown. I think the Jets score 10 points or fewer. 
I think the Patriots probably, you know, 2023. It's going to be like a 23-10 type of game. Not particularly interesting. I don't think there's a lot of fantasy juice here, but both teams ostensibly their number one receiver, Myers and Crowder, those are the guys I'm eager to play. Doesn't sound particularly exciting. I will say I am holding out hope for Damian Harris, even if Sony Michelle, who's been woefully inefficient, is active in this one. I believe he's expected to be um, expected to return. At what, to what capacity? We, we obviously don't know. And part of that is because when I look at the Jets, and the Jets are allowing an average of 22 totes to opposing running backs. That's total backfields. And every time that Damian Harris has touched the ball at least 15 times, he's managed and not just touch the ball, I should say, like manage rushing attempts. As long as if he's been, if he's managed 15 at minimum carries, he has also managed 100 yards. And so I feel like uh, this is going to be um, a telling opportunity here for Harris to see if he can continue to build. Remember, he was the he was the star over the summer. There was a lot of pub. He's a he's a, a what a third round draft pick from just a year ago, and he he came out of Alabama. He was Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs' teammate here. And he is, you know, maybe I like to say when looking at Harris's um, skill set that he is a jack of all trades, but a master of none. But also, I think that's a great skill set match for a team like the Patriots. So, eye on that one. Um, Scott, what do you normally do on Do you have a Sunday night article that goes later? Do you do start working on Monday morning? I want you to plug your stuff. Sure. Um, I write booms and busts uh, on Sunday, which is partly uh, I'll write a couple of main themes in that article and then be all bullet points in the second half of the article. Uh, Dalvin Cook was the lead item. It's already up now. And, and even if you don't feel like a longer read, just go to the bottom, all quick, almost like tweet length observations about things and, and where I think the league is headed. So that's basically my debrief of every Sunday. And then of course you can hear me on a couple of these programs. I'll be on the waiver wire podcast with Andy Barron's the Monday taping for Tuesday release. And then Dalton Daldon and I will be picking all the games on Wednesday that comes out on Thursday. Oh my gosh. Back to back to back. Scott Pianowski, everybody. Week of yeah. Week of Look at that. Um, all right. In addition to Scott being on all of the podcasts this week, Yahoo sports has all of the podcasts. Period. We've got the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast. They'll know how to say Jake Luton's name uh, with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty. You can follow us on Twitter, of course, at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF, and that's at Scott underscore Pianowski. One more thanks to Planters. Scott, as you just said, you'll be back tomorrow with Andy Barron to talk pickups. Until then, we out. We out.